Hello, and welcome to Thinking Out Loud with It's Mercedes, the consistently inconsistent podcast where I, your host, Mercedes, think out loud and do my best to process current events and culture. If you want to join the conversation and access exclusive content, join the community at itsmercedes.locals.com. Let's get into it. So this episode is going to be a little bit different. It's going to be more of a story, a story with uh, quite a bit of opinion. And I'm likely to be accused of either stirring up trouble, uh, which is not my intent, and hence why I am going to be keeping all identifiers and names confidential. But I did tell myself about a year ago that I was no longer going to be quiet when I saw something that I thought was an issue significant and I wasn't going to speak up because I was afraid of any repercussions. I'm done with that. And so this is where we are today. I'm not going to be doing a preamble stating my gender, race, ethnicity, sexuality, mental health condition, or any body type. I will not be doing any of this as a fill in the blank with what you will, because my lived experience is irrelevant. If any of these identifiers matter to you in order to consider what I'm about to say or about to share important, I dare say that you are part of the problem. The story and opinions that I will be sharing today are solely my own. I haven't discussed this with anyone. I haven't coordinated anything. Someone is bound to be offended and find what I have to say problematic. And the fact of the matter is, I don't care because I stand behind everything I'm about to say, and this is a hill I will die on. So in order to do this story full justice, I do feel that I need to do quite a bit of a setup. So it's going to be a long one, but bear with me because at least personally, I think it's definitely going to be interesting and it's going to be worth it. So I started a food blog in 2008 before the term influencer became part of the everyday lexicon. Over time, an encouraging and really supportive community took shape. The community focused on authenticity, storytelling, and organic engagements. We wrote about our life, food, and the products that we genuinely love to use and share with our family and use every day. In time, brands took notice and began to reach out, typically offering some type of free product or coupon. And I'm talking about a literal coupon, like a physical coupon in the mail, not a discount code. In time, we realized that we could monetize these opportunities. So together, we navigated how to take a hobby of sharing what we cooked for our families into a business. These opportunities really empowered many, primarily women, to support their family and still be able to be home with their young children. Together, we went from being offered coupons and free cans of soup for a blog post to charging thousands of dollars per post, as well as the monetization of social media channels, ad space on the blogs, books, speaking engagements, ambassadorships, merchandise. Seriously, the list could go on. You just needed to be created enough and savvy enough to come up with another way to create a revenue stream. I loved this community. It connected me to a truly diverse group of people from different areas of the country with different backgrounds. And what was really cool is that even though we were all different, we were all connected because of our desire to share food. Many of these individuals, many and mostly predominantly women, because this business is like 90% women, I never would have met or had an opportunity to meet if it wasn't for food blogging. I made the most amazing and trustworthy friends. Friends that today I consider sisters. 
For close to a decade, I felt that I was so lucky that this was my job and everyone appeared to be kind, helpful, fun. I mean, I didn't click with everyone. That's impossible. And I definitely didn't want to have everybody over for dinner because, well, I'm an introvert. But we were all cool, you know, like, you know, to quote the Countess de Lesseps, no one was uncool. Then the environment began to shift. Conversations were touching on all the social justice issues. Conversations that I believe were well-meaning, but they, you know, they made me uneasy. Not uncomfortable, not convicted, not put off, just uneasy. I intently read these conversations, but I did not partake because I noticed that anytime someone came into the conversation with a different perspective or opinion, it would devolve into the individual being passive-aggressively corrected and sometimes browbeaten into agreement. And this is what made me uneasy. In food blogging circles, the conversations mainly focused around cultural appropriation, such as using names on recipes that were not authentic was problematic, and that we should be more aware and do the work to educate ourselves, not only on the dishes, but why what was happening was problematic. And look, I'm not clueless. I mean, I can see the argument. I can almost sympathize with the argument in part, but it sounded also a lot like gatekeeping. And I thought to myself, how would I feel if my family recipes were tweaked, either because of available ingredients or personal palate, which is what commonly happens in food culture or when food culture crosses borders? Would I be offended? No. However, I was being told that I should be offended and that there and there was also this undercurrent that told me that if I wasn't, I was a traitor to my people. I also got the message that I should even be more offended if someone who didn't share my family background or my ethnicity was more successful and ranked higher on Google rankings than me, because not only are they appropriating my culture, but they are financially benefiting from that. Little to no consideration that maybe, just maybe, they had done a better job at jumping through the hoops at, that the Google gods put before us and algorithms require. I mean, it's literally a computer algorithm, is it not? When these discussions first became commonplace, I seriously doubt that the algorithms were taking race or social justice markers into account in order to rank an enchilada recipe. Today, I wouldn't be surprised if that was the case, but that's a different story for another time. These conversations were not only occurring in food blogging, but they were happening everywhere. I started to feel like there was a cancer brewing underneath the surface. And I felt in my gut that it was, it was spreading. It was going further, and I was starting to question if it could be stopped. Lord help us, then Trump announced that he was running for president, and he won the election. People actually lost their minds. It became clear if you openly admitted you voted for Trump, you were labeled a racist. And this was before the redefinition of racist or racism was pushed into the mainstream, and any attacks against you were justified. This was about the time that I began to pull away from the blogging community. It was showing signs of toxicity, infighting, gatekeeping, and othering. We no longer found a commonality over food. The conversation was being dominated by a few that demanded agreement to the point that you had to use and acknowledge all the proper language and buzzwords or face consequences. Everyone was walking on eggshells. The environment had drastically changed and I was not on board. Social media and news was literally littered with stories of individuals being verbally attacked, doxxed, and losing their livelihood because of something they had said, 
an opinion they held, or an organization they donated to. That was completely acceptable a few months prior, but now problematic, dangerous, or even violence. Then 2020 arrived, and Lord, pray for us all. 2020 is a year that literally everything hit the fan, like everything, okay? And I mean, honestly, all you have to do is say 2020, and it's everybody groans. And all the flung in every direction. No one was safe. Opinions and words had to be so on point and in line with what the loudest deemed acceptable or true. The tensions were were palpable. The discussion online was beyond unhealthy. And I thought to myself, what the f- is going on? Like, what is happening? Having been a political and historical junkie all of my adult life, I had an idea, but I wanted to be sure that what I was seeing was founded in fact and not emotion because I was feeling a lot of emotion at the time. I was stressed, scared, I was anxious, and if I spoke up or said the wrong thing, that I could be next. I needed a break from this hysteria in the comment threads and Facebook groups. Furthermore, I required a break from the community and blogging itself. I needed to know, I just, I needed to figure out what was going on. I wanted to know what was happening. So I took a step back from food blogging and I immersed myself in reports, articles, books, podcasts, documentaries. Like I just consumed information and anything I could get my hands on that could help me understand what was happening. I consumed information from across the spectrum, sometimes reading from sources that made me want to uh, literally scream. But I prioritized being informed and I chugged on. I spent that time researching, learning, and honing my views and opinions. And in time, I eventually, I started a side account on Instagram called It's Mercedes, where I shared these views and my opinions. What was interesting was that some of my blogger peers followed my new account. And some lurked, I saw you watching my stories. (laughs) But what was fascinating was how many followed me and began to engage in conversations and share opinions in my DMs, conversations that they would not have in public, not because there was anything wrong with what they were saying but because it challenged the authoritatively enforced opinions. So two years go by, okay? We're, I'm like, we're in current day. And, you know, it'd been two years since I stepped back from blogging. And it wasn't because I no longer enjoyed it, but it was because it just wasn't a happy place. And the story that I am about to share will demonstrate that arguably, it's still no longer a happy place. But after two years, I, I missed blogging. I'm not going to lie. I have been making bread, cheese, canning from our garden. We even got freaking chickens, okay? I got a lot of eggs that I got to figure out what to do with. And even though it would be a departure from my usual content, I wanted to share it. However, after being out of the loop for two years with food blogging, algorithms, SEO, and literally like so many other things, you guys think we're just sitting around in pajamas, but it's, it's so the opposite. I was I was so very behind. In technology years, two years is a lifetime. So I went and I, I texted some friends and I asked them if they would recommend some informative food blogger groups. You know, someone to kind of get me up to date with what was going on. I was reluctant, but I was hopeful. So shortly thereafter, I received an invitation to a group. This group focused on being transparent about running their blog business. And I knew many of the members personally, or I had known them over the years online many of them very successful and well-known bloggers. And I was confident that they were up to date with the latest technological and business practices when it comes to blogging. So I requested to join the group. Shortly after the conversation, another friend 
completely unprovoked, commented about a conversation happening in this same group that I had literally just joined and sent a request to. And apparently there was some drama and a member was getting piled on. At least that was the quick summation that I had gotten. Then I saw a comment from another friend that said something along the lines of, did you know that sponsored work compensation is being determined by race? And that that's a summary of what they said. And that definitely kind of, I was like, say what? But I was very busy with some new life developments. So my attention was split and I put it in my pocket and moved along. It was finally the end of the day and I was sitting on the sofa and poking around on my phone like we do. And I noticed that I had received a notification that I'd been accepted to the group. Okay, before I move on with the story, I need to say a few things. The names and identifying details have been changed or completely eliminated to protect the privacy of the individuals. I will be pointing out race on occasion, but only when I believe it is relevant. Finally, when I use the word racist or racism outside of any quotations, I'm using it with its original definition. Everything I share is from a firsthand account. It comes from, it's my personal opinion and when indicated from direct quotes. (sighs) Okay, deep breath. Let's do this. I entered the group and what I walked in on was a literal struggle session reminiscent of Evergreen College 2017, but on a smaller scale and without bats. And this struggle session was not dominated by young adults lacking fully developed frontal cortexes, but among a group of middle-aged women on a digital platform. And if you don't know the reference, I suggest that you Google Evergreen College. Uh, Benjamin Boyce did an excellent job covering it. So allow me to set the scene. Before I stepped away from food blogging, at the heights of protests, riots, black squares, and the inescapable promotion of D'Angelo's book, White Fragility, and Kendi's How to Be an Anti-Racist, a customized search engine started to make the rounds. It was titled Black Food Bloggers Custom Search, colon, a Google custom search database of black food bloggers for external linking and recipe inspiration. It was created with the intention to assist white food bloggers in amplifying the voices and content of black food bloggers. The custom search engine was reshared in the group by its creator after approximately two years since it was created, along with a prompt, a portion of which included the following, quote, in 2020, we were all having some amazing discussions regarding how white bloggers could be better allies to black bloggers. I'd love to check in about this now that a couple of years have passed. There were lots of specific plans and ideas, evolving also into conversations about cultural appropriation and blogging in general. And I'm wondering how it's going for you now, two years later. What kinds of things have you, parentheses, if you're a white ally, close parentheses, put in place? Have you kept at it two years later? If you are a black blogger or blogger of color and willing to share, have you noticed any improvements in this landscape or things still lacking? Has anyone come across any resources or people that have been helpful for you? End quote. Okay, so we're off to the races, like like figuratively, and I I guess also literally. I don't know. Anyways, first, the conversation starts with replies of thanks from Black members for resharing the search engine and prompting the conversation again. They share how there was initially so much enthusiasm, but unfortunately, it has died down. And with each reply, the post author, who is white, chimes in with an enthusiastic and dutiful response of thanks. Slowly, white members enter the conversation. Some declare that they are still sharing Black bloggers' content, 
and that they make sure that the content that they share is from a diverse group of creators. But others confess to falling away from the intentional sharing of Black food bloggers' content. One is even thankful for being held accountable. And then the first self-flagellation makes an appearance. Quote, I will own up to the fact that my very intentional anti-racism work has basically come to a halt. Not intentionally, but that doesn't matter. I have definitely had tunnel vision in my business the last year plus, and I can own that I have not kept the momentum. Black creators don't have the privilege of forgetting what they're up against. And if I am truly an ally, I need to be doing the work always, not just when the conversation is loud. Thank you for posting this. I am recommitting to being intentionally a better ally to our Black colleagues. The post author replies, quote, thanks for chiming in. I feel similarly. And you put my thoughts into words very well. I set myself up with tools in order to be able to integrate anti-racist work in my blog, specifically without too much extra work, like CSE, which means custom search engine, and following and interacting with black bloggers on social, etc. And I've kept up with those. But I took a step back from being truly intentional with my growth. The quote, extra work is something our black colleagues often don't have the option of stepping away from or automating, end quote. The conversations continued for a bit. There was a reply, a response, some acknowledgement, a confession with declarations of needing to do better. There was even a little banter between two white members about how they welcome every opportunity to argue over racial injustice, love to respond to, quote, those people and celebrate any time they lose followers after they school someone in social justice. School being my word, not theirs. This is when the meat of this story takes hold. This is when I noticed replies to a comment that had been deleted, and I, I later learned that the comment was uh, deleted by the author, not the admin. And at this point, the post had been up overnight. So I scanned the thread to make sense of what had happened, what led to the comment being deleted, and what were the responses that I was reading? Like, what were they in relation to? That is when I remember the messages that had popped up the day before that reference what appeared to be this thread. So I went back and scanned my text messages and I found screenshots of the deleted comment. The comment, which came from a white member, provided a, quote, alternative perspective. So from here on out, I'm going to call this member Sam. I read the comment and the tone appeared genuine and even sympathetic to the conversation, but in a struggle session such as this, the biggest mistake that you can do is provide a alternative perspective. Intent, sincerity, and lived experience didn't matter. Sam may not have realized it, but she was about to run through a very hostile gauntlet, and all that waited at the end was a sword that Sam was expected to fall on. So Sam presented the alternative perspective, the possibility that it was not that whites don't want to support other food bloggers of any color or any spectrum of diversity, but that the culture and the practice of food blogging had changed. Sam points out that many food bloggers no longer share other bloggers' content anymore. The share groups from the past, there used to be these Facebook groups where all food bloggers would join and we would post our content and share it. Those are no longer beneficial. They're, they don't help performance uh, because of algorithm changes. And Sam realized that sharing her own content on her platform was better than sharing content from other people's platform. So it stands to reason that she would practice what's best for her business. Sam was being sincere and Sam wanted to help. She wanted to do better. And she asked if there was any missed opportunity to share Black bloggers content that maybe she had not considered. And allow me to just insert here really quick that what Sam 
said is all true. Before I step back from blogging, this was also my experience. And I've heard very similar stories from other bloggers who are still active. It's your own content tends to perform better on your own platforms. Okay, so Sam is currently at the mouth of this gauntlet, this metaphorical gauntlet, okay, about to step in. Sam then proceeds to share a story about her spouse leaving his full-time job to join the blog. Sam's spouse is a minority, or what the world now categorizes a POC, which is a person of color, if you're unfamiliar with the acronym. Sam's spouse doesn't work in the background of the blog like most spouses do. Sam's spouse joins and even starts to contribute to the blog. This is when she steps into the gauntlet, still completely unaware. Not because she isn't smart, but because she is sincere. So Sam is caught off guard by what happens next. Sam's comment continues, quote, I only just added him when I found out how much less I'm being paid for sponsored opportunities as a white woman versus other bloggers who are a minority. Parentheses, whether that is because of their sexuality or their ethnicity. Close parentheses. I'm close friends with three people in the PR industry who work directly with influencers and bloggers. They shared with me how much more those who are different minorities are charging and how most with half of my traffic are charging double. Most marketing companies these days are pushing for a diverse group of influencers to be used on campaigns and are paying those who are a minority a higher rate as they are in more demand. Since hiring my husband, I have gotten three times the amount of sponsored offers coming in, specifically mentioning that they would like my husband to do recipes with their products. They have also offered a higher rate from the initial start of rate conversations and have agreed to a much higher rate than I was previously able to get by myself with the same amount of traffic, end quote. Now, I acknowledge that her account is anecdotal, but I believe Sam to be sincere and have no ill intent with this comment. She's merely sharing her experience and contributing to the conversation. But I do have a small critique, and it's not an attack on Sam. I'm just providing another perspective or maybe something that we haven't thought of. Sam appears to chalk the difference in pay up to supply and demand. And I can I can sympathize with this sentiment. I am a capitalist after all. But let's be honest. Supply and demand is not inherently good or inherently bad. It's just a reality. However, there have been many instances in history when demand for immoral actions were unfortunately paired with a willingness to supply. Let me be clear. All discrimination of individuals is immoral. The discrimination of one to compensate for the discrimination of another does not negate the immorality of discrimination. So it is a problem that companies and PR agencies are compensating individuals dependent on their immutable characteristics, with apparently taking little to no account for reach, traffic, or authority. And um, what they appear to be doing is a simple ticking off of a diversity checklist. After Sam posted the comment, she went to bed. And the following morning, she woke up to hateful comments on her site targeting Sam and her spouse. Due to the content of the comments, Sam surmised that the source of the comments stemmed from the post in the group from the evening before. So she got into the group, checked the group, and found this discussion. Sam engaged with the replies to her comment, and at first she felt that the conversation was, quote, going well and was hopefully going to be helpful to people. Here are portions to some of the replies to Sam's post. Member, quote, can you please explain why you brought up black bloggers so-called making more money on deals than white bloggers? 
I need the hard research on this because you can share facts or just hearsay on this. For a very long time, black bloggers weren't even receiving deals at all. And we sat by, watched campaigns that completely lacked representation, or maybe just one of us was included to meet quota. If you're seeing that black bloggers are now receiving what they should have received before, it's probably to make up for the fact that we were a non-factor to begin with, end quote. Another member, quote, I read your prior comments as, quote, I don't see the need to be intentional in this work because in my personal situation, it isn't affecting me or my family. And here is why. Basically centering yourself in a conversation about how white bloggers can use their privilege to continue to uplift our black colleagues, end quote. Another member, quote, you're being transparent while centering yourself, playing victim, parentheses, mentioning black creators pay in comparison to yours and the need for your husband close parentheses, and in attempting to garner sympathy, end quote. Another member, quote, if someone tells you you're doing something wrong with regard to racism, it would be awesome if it was culturally accepted thing, a response more like, quote, thank you for letting me know, end quote. Another member, quote, you can be in a biracial or multi-ethnic relationship and still have bias, not to mention that many POC have issues with internalized racism, end quote. Sam did her best to thoughtfully engage in the conversation, but it did not matter. What happened was collectively determined to be wrong. No question, no nuance, no grace. Sam agreed with the sentiment that if someone says that you did something wrong regarding racism, you should accept it and apologize. Yet then Sam was accused of insinuating that minorities were not deserving of higher pay, which is not what happened. Sam said there is a demand for more minorities, so they are receiving higher pay. There's a difference. She was also doing her best to essentially exit stage right from this gauntlet, but it was going to be harder than she could imagine. And the only way to make it stop was to push forward and fall on the sword that was waiting at the end. The struggle session had to continue. Why? Because regardless if Sam and her spouse and others like them have sincere intentions to accomplish social justice through anti-racism, honestly, I believe not fully understanding what that means, nothing is ever going to be enough. No matter how many times you say the right thing, donate to the right organization, or attend the right rally, eventually you will do something wrong. Because all anti-racist and social justice warriors are looking for offense, microaggressions, and racism in every corner, every word, and every gesture. Even if you know in your heart that you were being accused of something that is not true, you must accept it as truth. You need to understand that it's not going to stop. There are no limiting factors. There's no sign anywhere that says you have arrived, let's be cool. If you ask for a goal, an indicator of accomplishment, you'll get a subjective version of to create a just world or right injustice a utopian vision that will never happen because we live in a world made up of flawed human beings who can subjectively find injustice or offense anywhere. Sam continued to get hostile comments on the blog, on socials, and through email. Comments that accused Sam of using her spouse. And they rushed to delete and block the comments. And then Sam, in the group, openly speculated that some of the blog comments possibly originated from members within the group. She shared a screenshot of one of the comments. Author, and all caps, actual black person. Email you at you.com. Comment, quote, you need to tell your white of a wife to shut her mouth. Keep letting her use you and your half blackness as a cloak. Disgusting. End quote. 
There was heightened concern because the IP address of this comment originated from the same town that Sam lived. And Sam indicated that other comments had IP addresses of New York and Illinois. She did not post a screenshot of those comments. Members in the group speculated who posted the comment. At some point, Sam deleted the screenshot of the comment and a member reposted it, leading me to conclude that they had downloaded the image and comments the following. Quote, did you delete this? Was this a real comment? I've never heard a black person use the word in my life. This is all very intriguing. IP address and all, end quote. Sam responds with yes, and that she's trying to leave the conversation. A member recommends that Sam contact the police because of the proximity, and Sam says that the police have been called. The group admin then shares that Sam informed them that they discovered who made the comment, and it was not from anyone in the group or in the blogging industry. And at this point, Sam leaves the group. Members say that they don't understand why Sam left the group if the comment didn't come from the group. And then, like, why would she leave? Why was she so defensive? They just can't possibly wrap their minds around it. Another member then shares that they received a DM from Sam and that she informed them that it was an ex-employee who dropped off a current employee and overheard what was occurring. Then members proceeded to question the validity of the explanation and speculated that Sam is the one who left the comment. Member, quote, a lot of coincidences and just-in-time explanations, but I think we all know what's up, end quote. Another member posted GIF of a black man making a face of disbelief stirring a cup of coffee or tea. All hell is breaking loose at this point. And I remind you that Sam is no longer in the group. Sam is accused of, quote, fake victimhood. And someone is saying that none of this adds up. The following are partial quotes from one member's comment. Also, it's worth noting that this is the first time that the word white makes an appearance written with a capital W and a Y in place of an I. What has happened here is what we see, albeit on a lesser scale, in the news every day. A white woman was called out for her offensive words, and instead of clarifying what she meant and apologizing, she pulled out the, quote, I'm not racist card, quote, in part, quote, in her zeal to redirect attention from herself, she crafted a victim story where black bloggers from this group were harassing and attacking her and her husband. She created harassment against herself and blamed us by posting a comment from a, quote, actual, all caps, black person, end quote. Quote in part, quote, much like the woman who claim a black person attacked them and called the police, end quote. The story of the ex-employees again questioned, and they closed with this, quote, this is what we mean when we say we are treated unfairly. No, this isn't on the same level as what happened to Emmett Till, but it shows you the mentality of people who are quick to accuse black people of crimes or aggression that they created themselves. We're not exaggerating. We are not making this up. End quote. What I can only describe as a digital applause ensues. Everyone is agreeing with this comment. Notice that the reason they're accusing Sam of leaving the comment is because they don't see her as an individual. They see her only as a white woman. Because of this, they assume she is accusing a black member when all she said was that it came from someone in the group. At this point, the post has reached 205 people, but so far only 11 members have participated in the conversation and are feeding off of one another's righteous indignation. And there is no one to step in and call in timeout. I mean, who would dare? We all just saw what happened to Sam and what her experience was. 
How do I know it reached 205 people, you ask? Because the admin, who you would assume would not stoke the fire, posted a screenshot of the post's performance with the following commentary. Quote, despite all the comments and activity in this post, this post has received less reach than other posts from yesterday. I think it's worth showing everyone to back up exactly what is being expressed here. Black bloggers face challenges others do not. It's literally difficult for them to even share their experiences or thoughts because algorithms dismiss them too. This has not been an easy conversation. It's been challenging. That's a good thing. Be challenged. End quote. Is it perhaps possible that the reach of the post is not being throttled because there are Black bloggers sharing their experience? Maybe it's because there are algorithms that flag post with heated conversations. It's hard to know all the ins and outs of algorithms. Typically, the more engagement on a post, the larger the reach. However, there are exceptions. Regardless of what side of the aisle the conversation is coming from, Social media has throttled the performance of a post if the algorithm senses or says that it can result in heated emotions through conversations. This is what happens when you say feelings cause trauma, words are violence, and advocate for social media platforms to censor speech. A member commenting for the first time enters the chat. I guess it's not a chat, the thread. Anyways, enters and says something that needs to be said. And I'm not going to read the entire thing because I've had you here long enough and this comment is very long. But here are quotes from portions of the comment. Quote, saying that people of color, especially black people, should ask for more doesn't mean this will translate to our black blogger friends getting paid more. I mean, newsflash, asking for more doesn't mean it will translate into anyone being paid more. But let's continue. Quote, this is like blaming black people and other people of color for getting paid less. End quote. Another portion. Quote. If it wasn't the intent to blame black bloggers for being paid less, that's the impact of the comments. Parentheses. Please read on intent versus impact. I'm tired of seeing comments. Oh, I'm so sorry. I didn't intend to do that. That's not a real apology. Close parentheses. End quote. Sam never blamed black bloggers for being paid less. The comment goes on and on. And finally, it closes with this. Quote, we don't always do or say the right thing, but we can learn from our mistakes and be grateful when someone calls us out. Know that when a black blogger or another blogger of color calls you out, most of the time, parentheses, if not all of the time, close parentheses, it's done out of love because they want you to do better. It's easier to not say anything and give up on the conversation. Know that all caps free emotional labor is being expended all all caps, all times, end quote. A member replies applauding the comment and complimenting on how, quote, eloquent it was. They are promptly corrected because, quote, commenting on my eloquence isn't a compliment. I know your intention and I'm happy to share articles on how problematic this is, end quote. Response, quote, oof, you're right. I'm aware of it already. Really appreciate the reminder. I'm sorry, end quote. Then there are some side conversations asking what's the deal with the spelling of white, capital W, and with a Y, which created a little side struggle session. Then a member pointed out how rampant cultural appropriation still is in the food blogging industry. And there was a quick flurry of sharing TikTok social justice accounts, how awesome and beneficial social justice TikTok is. That's a hard one to say. And quote, social justice TikTok is my jam, end quote. Suddenly, Sam is back in the chat with a new member icon. Reminder, 
Okay. At this point, Sam has been accused of making up the entire story, the entire story of the comment. Sam recaps the day's events and shares that they had woken up to hateful comments on a sponsored social media post of a longtime client. Sam and her spouse were quickly deleting comments and double checking that there weren't any additional comments anywhere else. At this point, Sam's ex-employee, who turns out to be an underage family member, is dropping off their parent, a current employee of Sam's, when they see what's happening and they jump in to help with the comments. Turns out the ex-employee, who is a minor and a family member, is who left the comment. They did this because they were still mad that they had been let go two weeks prior for being late and calling out. Sam did not immediately share this information with the group because she was embarrassed that this person could say something so hateful and untrue. And also, this person is a family member and a minor. The kid finally confessed after the police were called and they realized that the IP address could be tracked. Although the mystery of the comment had been solved, there were still questions about the original comments on the social media posts, plus the two additional comments that originated from Illinois and New York. This is when Sam shares screenshots of those blog comments. Author, need help? Question mark. Email, a at AOL.com. Quote, hey, are you being held as a slave by your white master? Other comment, author, anonymous, email, anon at anon. Quote, Taking advantage of a situation and stealing from Black people is obviously a way of life for you, end quote. I'm going to say it, okay? I think someone in the group left the comments. And I'm not saying that it had to be someone that replied, but it's someone within the group. But let's say they didn't leave the comments themselves. Someone in this group shared what was happening with someone outside the group, possibly sharing screenshots, all of which led Sam to receive these comments. To me, it's pretty clear that someone in this group, this closed group, is at fault. And they don't appear to feel bad about it. And I suspect that they don't feel bad about it because they believe Sam got what she deserved. Finally, Sam was dragged into another struggle session because of her spouse's ethnicity. And although I had a strong desire to step in at this portion of the conversation, I stayed out of it. It was clear that the entire conversation has devolved into a heaping pile of And I was not about to step in it at that moment there would have been no benefit to it. Four days later, the member who had originated the entire thread drops a six-paragraph dissertation of everything that had happened and how we can all be better allies by doing the work, with a reminder that the work never ends. Quote, if any white person who has immediate feelings of defensiveness when things like this come up, those feelings are normal and a symptom of the system. And, all caps, those feelings should be worked on through research, through therapy, however you do it. And they are your responsibility. They should not get in the way of action. And if they do, then you are contributing to the system, end quote. This all may result in nothing and fall on deaf ears, but it's also possible that it won't. And I am fully aware of what's possibly coming my way. Some people are not going to be happy and they're going to dismiss me saying that I'm stirring up drama and I have too much time in my hands and the latter might be true. I will possibly be called a racist since racist has been redefined, although I'm unsure of my position of power since I am a woman who is a Latina. However, I'm still white adjacent. I think that's what I'm told. So I suppose I lose some points for that. (laughs) And I just realized I went back on my promise to not mention my race, gender, or ethnicity, whatever. I might be chastised for defending a white person who allegedly weaponized false victimhood. And to that, I say I will defend anyone 
anyone that I feel has been treated unjustly. I've learned that the only acceptable response when a Black person says I've done or said something racist is to accept it and apologize for it and learn from it. Oddly enough, if a Black person tells me something that bucks the dogma of anti-racism or social justice, it's because of internalized racism, essentially giving me the permission to dismiss and invalidate their opinion or life experience. Possibly, I will also be accused of internalized racism myself because I don't agree with the ideas and principles of anti-racism. I must accept that I have unconscious bias, but because I am unwilling to accept it, do the work and purge myself of this scourge, I am perpetuating white supremacy. Intent is no longer considered even valid. Only works are acceptable in the dogma of anti-racism and social justice. The same sermons are being regurgitated over and over, inspired by the works of Crenshaw, Kendi, and D'Angelo, to name a few. This religion is not rooted in practices of forgiveness. It's all about works. You may be well-intentioned, believing that anti-racism is truth, even fact, but this approach will never solve the world's injustices, especially when the primary motivation tactics to gain agreement and compliance is righteous indignation and browbeating. Of course, there are serious issues of injustice, racism, balances of power, and they are absolutely worth fighting against. But you do not create a better world by fighting oppression with oppression, racism with racism, and authoritarianism with authoritarianism. You might think you're creating a better world for those that follow. However, you're teaching our children and young adults to search and find fault everywhere they look. You demand collective thought and rebuke independent thought. You're contributing to a hyper environment of anxiety for young people that are already riddled with mental health issues. And if you got to this point, thank you for taking the time to listen. I know this was a lot. I can only speculate why you held on this long, but I know that if you found what I said problematic, you're itching to shoot back a reply. You might be dismissing me as ignorant, uninformed, suffering from internalized racism and misogyny, being blatantly racist, possibly a white supremacist, or worst of all, MAGA. You think my opinions are dangerous, that I should be called out and maybe reported to my sponsors or agency for my dangerous and harmful ideas, and my response... I have thoughtfully considered everything I have to say. I stand behind it and I will not retract it. This is a hill I will die on. I've left the group. The full comment thread with identities redacted is on my website. It's missady.com. So I cannot be accused of taking anybody out of context. If anyone identifies themselves in this podcast and wishes to have a conversation, feel free to shoot me a DM. My Zoom calendar is open. I will record the conversation and I will publish it unedited. Thanks for your time. Later. Thanks for listening. And if you could do me a quick favor and leave a five-star review with a comment, that would be awesome. It helps other people discover the podcast. And if you want to stay connected, join my email list. There is a link in the show notes, or you can also join the Locals community at itsmissady.locals.com to be notified of new episodes of this consistently inconsistent podcast. You can also follow me on Instagram at itsmissady.com.